Hey there, and welcome to the Unlikely Artist Podcast, where I'll teach you how to gain the freedom you need to become who you want, instead of who you've been telling yourself you need to be. I'm Heather Kerr. I went from international tax to art and coaching because those are the things I've been yearning to do. Listen in to find out how you can start doing what you love to in slow, easy steps each week. Let's dive in now. So Savvy Souls, you wouldn't think a conversation about somebody's journey with cancer would be so joyful and inspiring, but I promise you that my conversation today with Alex Moore Gibson is exactly that. So today I'm sharing the inspiring conversation I had with her, where we hear how her scary bout with cancer reconnected her to her art. This, my friends, is a story of creativity, freedom, exploration, and self-expression. Alex is not only an accomplished artist, but she's a kindergarten teacher who's schooling young minds on how to think creatively. Pretty much everything Alex shares today about teaching her kindergarten students is advice we'd all do well to follow. And in fact, it's very similar to some of the advice I give my much older clients. Especially the bit where Alex advises her students to be bored. Because when you're bored, that's when the best ideas surface. I think you're going to find inspiration in Alex's story about how her bout with cancer encouraged her to stop putting everyone else first and to reflect on what she wants her life to look like. And the life she discovered to be essential to her was one where she gets lots of time in the studio every week to paint. There's so many nuggets in here. Let's just dive in to hear her story. We talk about creativity, about finding meaning in difficult circumstances, about continual learning throughout your life, about finding what's right for you. Let's listen to her story. And by the way, at the beginning of the interview, when I tested my mic, I didn't notice that it had switched to my computer mic. So my sound quality isn't great in this interview, but Alex's is fine. So just bear with the sound in mind when you listen to it. And as I always say, I never do perfect here. So it's totally cool, right? Tune in to the interview now. Welcome back, Savvy Souls. So today we've got a great episode. I'm here with fellow artist Alex Moore Gibson. I met Alex only a couple of months ago when I was during the studio tour exhibition that we're having here in Prince Edward County. Alex will be joining us in September for that exhibition. But the reason I invited her with me here today is she told me some really great stories and I want her to share her journey with you. I think a lot of things that she's faced and ideas that she's had are going to really resonate with you. And I want you to be inspired by her personal journey. So welcome, Alex. Great to have you here today. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. So um, can you just tell us just really briefly, and we're going to be revisiting kind of your journey um, in more detail, but can you tell us a little bit about who you are right now and what you do right now? Absolutely. So Currently in this stage of my life, I am a mother of two little boys and I'm a part-time two-day-a-week kindergarten teacher uh, with a local public school board in our area. And I'm also a part-time working artist. So a little bit of both, a little bit of the career that I went to uh, school for and then the career that I always wished that I had had. So trying to find some balance in my life right now. Right. So we're going to be diving into a lot of this in detail. Uh, when we spoke earlier, one of the things that you talked about is how you've always been a creative soul, how art has always been part of your life. Tell me what it was like 
for you as a little creative soul. (laughs) That's a great way of putting it. I definitely feel like my whole life from my earliest memory, I always felt most successful when I was creating something. So whether it was, you know, my imaginary recipes as a little kid or art camp, um, all through high school, I felt the most confident um, while in the art studio in my high school. Um, school wasn't always the easiest for me. I definitely was the kid that needed tutors all through school. But when it came to art, I just, yeah, I felt the most myself. So I knew deep down that I would probably always do something creative. Um, it just took me a different road to figure that out. So all through university, I did an unofficial minor in uh, fine arts, unofficial because I just couldn't peg down really what I wanted to do as far as a minor. I also loved anthropology and I just loved learning about different cultures and I loved seeing the art within those cultures. So, yeah, um, so, so Alex, you've like, we're always loving creativity and yeah. How is it that you landed as a teacher? It was interesting when I listened to what you had to say, you were telling me about how you love art, but you found mm-hmm. school difficult. How was it that you winded up being a teacher Well, I come from a family of teachers and my grandfather, my paternal grandfather, who I was extremely close, close with, he was the head of the English department for the school board that I happened to work for. And growing up, you know, we would go over there every Friday night after school and have dinner with them. And he and I would always sneak off to his studio and do pictures and record little plays or he would encourage me to write stories with my illustrations and we would he had a recording studio he was a playwright and um he would allow me to explore just the love of learning so as i grew i kind of watched him and how he loved teaching children and i always loved children still do so i guess it just kind of as time went by and I explored other career options for, for whatever reason, I just kept coming back to teaching. And when it was time to kind of make more of a concrete decision, I was in my undergrad and I, you know, there were lots of avenues that you were introduced to once you were in an undergraduate degree, one of which I thought I would love interior design. Again, it's bringing in that creative part of my brain. And I always, you can ask my parents, I was always rearranging my bedroom and wanting to repaint the walls. And I I just loved that kind of creative outlet um, growing up. But then I just kept coming back to teaching and I saw what a great life balance, work-life balance my family members as teachers had. And of course, I was always told, you know, it has a good pension and it has benefits. And I guess the non-dreaming side of me, the realistic side of me thought that that would be a responsible kind of adult decision to become a teacher. So I did. I went to university, uh, teacher's college in Glasgow, Scotland, which was an incredible year, Um, actually where I met my husband. He was born and raised there. So that was an added bonus. And um, I just kind of got into it, but I knew in teaching primary school, I was able to incorporate my love for art within the curriculum. So just pausing you there, like it was really interesting when you were talking about being with your grandfather growing up Mm -hmm. and how much learning that you were doing through your creative exploration. Yeah. And I, I think when we spoke earlier, you quoted your grandfather who was a teacher correct yep yes and he said you have a creative soul yes you have to teach others how to do that so it feels like part of your and let me know if this is correct but it feels like part of your decision was really pragmatic and adult but part of it was also fueled by your creative self Absolutely. And your ability to teach creativity. Yeah. Is that right? 
It is totally correct. And I always knew I was good at teaching. Um, I felt confident when I was, you know, instructing younger peers or peers of mine. And I, you know, I was a camp counselor. I always babysat. There was always an interest in working with children. Um, but it was always with a creative spin. And yeah, my grandfather definitely taught me that, you know, he was the head of an English department. He he wasn't into math or science. He was into teaching children how to think creatively and, um, you know, with thought that isn't always linear. And that resonated with me because I'm not a linear thinker. Um, so he definitely taught me that you could be a teacher and a creative soul and how lucky students would be to have a teacher like that because I benefited from those educators as a student myself. Yeah, I so, think that's such an important uh, and such an important way to be as a teacher to understand the importance of creativity. I think, you know, math and other other linear subjects are overemphasized in our schooling and in fact my own dad was a math teacher. So that yeah. the philosophy that I grew up with, the art wasn't useful. So right. kind of opposite to yours. And I think these days, you know, I'm so interested in creativity, not just as an artist myself, but because create creativity is something you need to get through life. I mean, we're not getting into jobs where it's the same old, same old every year. Like we're, we're not sticking to one job for the rest of our career we're exactly. having to keep reinventing and keep creating recreating new lives right yeah. we're all yeah. in creative process so right now you're a kindergarten teacher tell me about how you teach them about yeah. creativity that is the great thing about being a kindergarten teacher. I was a grade one French immersion teacher for eight years, and that was wonderful. I, I love using my second language. I loved, you know, introducing a second language to tiny little people whose brains were just sponges. But there was a hard and fast curriculum that you were expected to follow, and there were a lot of... Um, benchmarks as far as grades and you know reading levels etc that I felt a little bit constricted by um, just the way my own brain works I found it difficult to put that on little people because some of them were just they didn't think that way and I felt that I was kind of crushing their creative spirit a little bit so I took a dive into kindergarten for a multitude of reasons but one of the reasons why I was so open to giving it a try was the idea that it's a program it's not a curriculum it's an inquiry-based program and can you explain the difference between a program and a curriculum absolutely so a curriculum anyone can go on the Ontario government and look up every grade the curriculum for every subject and it will literally show you every strand the educator is responsible of covering um, so you really do have to kind of have supporting data, um, for your administration to show I am covering the curriculum accordingly. The program for kindergarten, it's very open-ended and there's four, um, components to it. So there's like belonging and contributing is one. Um, so that's an example. So you're really trying to kind of form these children um, more socially and their learning is through their own interests as opposed to a curriculum that's already kind of set out for them. Oh God, wouldn't it be amazing if all of school were like that? Like I'm actually, I know, I know. I totally agree. I, yeah, I, I don't know if we'll ever get there because it's so difficult at what point I go through this in my head a lot. Um, at what point would you expect one to follow some sort of curriculum in order to be prepared for post-secondary school? That's kind of where my brain goes. But especially when they're little, like even my eldest son, he's seven and a half and he, he likes school. He's happy at school. But 
I just know that his creative brain would do so well in something like the kindergarten program where he was able to just kind of go with his own interests more and explore not only a subject that he's interested in, but also in a way that suits his style. So with my kindergarten students, for an example, I have a few that they're not interested in sitting and doing, you know, printing, or they're not even interested in matching magnetic letters to, you know, a word. Some of them are, and that's great. And that's how they're learning. And it's wonderful to see, but I have some, I have this little boy in my class and the only way I can get him to practice his letters or his numbers is I put up a massive piece of paper on the old blackboard in our, in our room. I have an old school, um, uh, classroom. So I have this blackboard and I tape up this huge piece of paper for him. And every day I'm like, okay, paint, paint me a mural draw me a mural and I give them all different materials, paints, pastels, um, chalk, pastel, crayons, markers, what you name it. And then I'll just slowly be like, Oh, could you label that? Like, what is, that's such a beautiful picture. Could you label it with the words so that everybody knows, um, what you did? And it's like my sneaky way of getting him to also learn how to, you know, sound things out and slowly familiarize himself with phonics but it also it it's him it's his brain it's how he works so it was very interesting because one of um the other teachers came in and she was like I didn't know he loved art I'm like all he wants to do is art just let him do art and you'll get to know him so quickly so that's an example of how I love the kindergarten program because I'm able to just I see those creative little minds and I can. It's, I can... it's so, so interesting. Like I'm a life coach, right? And so when I'm working, I'm an artist, but I'm also a life coach. And when I'm working with my my clients who are not kindergartners, but are full-fledged adults, some of them with yep. a few decades of work under their belt, I'm taking them through a process that's very similar to your kindergarten process where they get back in touch with, the creative part of them and finding out like what they're interested in and what they like to pursue and what lights them up and finding a way to navigate through life based on those things instead of what you've defined as a curriculum. I think a lot of us have like a curriculum for life. And the problem with the curriculum is, yeah, there's some basic things that you need to know, but a lot less than you think. And what's really makes life worthwhile is the inventiveness and the exploration and the freedom to explore things. So yeah. I'm doing your, your teaching with kindergartners, very similar to, you know, creative exploration at any age. And isn't it so sad that you're having to reintroduce them to that? Like going back to our point about how amazing would it be if we could all go through, you know, quote unquote schooling, but without losing that kindergarten mentality where you're having to literally retrain adults to unlearn and to go back to what did you love as a kid? Like, I just think that the concept of play and exploration it really is incredible what you learn about these kids. And it makes me sad a little bit sometimes because I just know that as they go through schooling in Ontario, they're going to lose, a lot of them are going to lose that and they're going to forget. So play and creativity are an essential skill these days to navigate through life, to navigate through the work environment. And I have a lot of strong issues um, with schooling and the way it's done, there's this guy called Sir Ken Robinson, who, for listeners who haven't heard of him, he did one of the most famous TED uh, TED Talks ever. And he's got books on creativity. Sadly, he passed away, but he's a British, you know, knighted. That's why he's Sir Ken Robinson. But he was brought over to the U.S. to look at their school system. And his entire focus was teaching more creativity into the school system because those are the skills that we need in business and in work life whether you're working for a corporation or as an entrepreneur or as an artist right so 
Yeah, I know the TED talk you're talking about. And I remember I was actually shown that TED talk at teacher's college in Scotland. And it just, it really, I still think of it regularly. Um, And his story about Karen Kane, the famous ballerina, and how when she was a child, at some point, some teacher wanted to basically, you know, diagnose her with ADHD or it was a doctor or something. And then they ended up discovering that they wanted her to sit still, right? They wanted her to sit still and she couldn't sit still. And, you know, she ended up being one of the most famous ballerinas and, and um, choreographers in the, in the world. And if they had, you know, stuck her in that box and made her sit down, what would have happened? You know, so that stuck with me. My, I, I have many students in my class, even this year, they can't sit still, but should they? They're four. Like, yeah, I just, I, I, or I'm 50, you can be 50 and sit still. I can't sit still. Like I've learned to sit still, but I don't want to. It's not normal for me. It's not natural. I always joke with my husband. I don't know how you have a desk job. Like I'm either standing in my studio running after my kids or I'm in a kindergarten classroom running after 23, four, five, and six. Yes, I can imagine that you don't sit still as a kindergarten teacher. No, no, there's no sitting. There's actually literally no sitting. So it's, um, I get my steps in on my work days. That's for sure. But yeah, I'm appreciative for the education system in a lot of ways don't get me wrong but um I feel most confident in a kindergarten setting I think as an educator and just as the way my own creative brain works because I don't feel confined therefore I hope my students don't feel confined or yeah. at least what, what I'm hearing is you have the most freedom at that because of the way this system is that's where you have the most freedom so Alex I'd like to roll you forward a little bit um because you had um a real turning point in your life um which led to your uh really devoting yourself to art can you take back to your breast cancer diagnosis and what happened there absolutely yeah so Like I said, I went to teacher's college, you know, came home to Canada, got a job, kind of fit within that adult curriculum that we were referring to earlier. And, you know, life was good. I had two sons and, you know, a great husband in a great neighborhood, all seemed pretty status quo. Um, And then all of a sudden on my dad's birthday, I was cleaning up after dinner and got a call and I had had... I had found a lump um, in my breast that I was very weary of. And I just had this gut feeling that something was really wrong. Um, My family doctor was just like, okay, let's check it out so we can both sleep well at night. I'm sure it's nothing. You know, it doesn't run in your family. You just nursed your second son. Like it's, it's all good, but like, I'm sure it's fine. Let's just get it checked out. And sure enough, um, the evening of my dad's birthday, I got a phone call saying, nope actually it's definitely breast cancer and it's really aggressive and it's really big. So that was a turning point in my life. I was 33. My youngest son was 20 months old. I had a three-year-old. Yeah. It just completely flipped everything, everything upside down. So it was like the longest two weeks of my life having all these tests and waiting to know what stage it was at. Um, they knew it was at least a stage three, um, which means it's still isolated. Um, if it was stage four, that means it has spread through your, your blood, your bones, through your lymph nodes. So it could have been very, a a lot worse, but it wasn't a great diagnosis by any means. Sounds pretty scary. It was terrifying. Yeah, it was the by far the scariest um, yeah, situation I've ever had to face. Um, I also didn't know anyone who had gone through it. I wasn't in my 60s or 70s. It wasn't in my family. I had never been exposed to the world of cancer. And it's not a world anyone wants to be exposed to. So I was also just kind of 
not in denial. I was accepting of it. Um, I had little kids, so I just was in fight mode the entire time. Like just, you know, get it, get these breasts off me. Give me the chemo, whatever you need to do. Just get it out of me kind of mentality. I have to be here for my kids. I refuse to not see my kids grow up, but there's only so much that you can say to a doctor, like the facts are the facts. So it was terrifying, but within, so after the two weeks of waiting to find out, I literally ran out to Prince Edward County where our cottage is and hid at our cottage with my children and cried a lot at Sandbanks walking on the beach in the middle of the winter, just being cold and crying and having total panic attacks, which I had never had in my entire life. Um, and then I finally got the information that I was praying for that it was just stage three, not stage four yet. It hadn't spread. Um, and I was to start chemo in a week. So I was, you know, I went through the system very quickly, which I'm really grateful for. I'm also grateful that I only had my final chemotherapy during the height of the pandemic. Like my last chemo was March 23rd, 2020. So literally everything had shut down. I was just praying that I could get my last treatment. Um, and then I had to have my bilateral mastectomy a month later, entirely alone. It was completely apocalyptic feeling when I yeah, went in because it, because of the, it just about of- listen internationally because of the, in, in here where we live in Ontario, we were subject to pretty severe lockdowns. And if yeah. you went into hospital, you weren't allowed to have any visitors. Exactly. Yeah. So they were obviously understandably trying to keep, you know, exposure at a minimum, but also they were trying to keep beds open that needed to be available um, for COVID. So I wasn't even sure if my surgery would go forward, but it did. Thank God. And I got that done. Very strange to go in alone and have your husband pick you up the next day, seemingly an entirely different body, but I was just relieved. I woke up from the surgery, just incredibly relieved for all the reasons to have the healthcare, to just have, you know, have it over with, to know that the cancer wasn't in my body anymore. It it was a bizarre um, relief, but it was there. And then I was given a month to recover and then I had radiation. So after that, I was not going to go back to teaching just yet. I wanted to do an oral chemotherapy um, just for one last blast to the system because I was so young um, Mm -hmm. and the type of breast cancer I had was the most aggressive and had the highest recurrence rate. I couldn't stand the thought of it coming back. So my oncologist was wonderful and suggested this new drug that was being used um, in various parts of the world with some success. And I literally just said, am I going to have to lose my hair again? And he said, no. And I said, sure, sign me up. No problem. So he was like, do you want to know the other side effects of this drug? I'm like, oh, right. Yeah. I guess, I guess that would be something someone would ask. I just didn't want to lose my hair again. It was just coming back. So, um, I did that. And while I did it, it was difficult for me to stand the drug that I was on made, um, my feet very sore and peel. And it was not pleasant. So I knew I couldn't go back to the classroom quite yet. I also just didn't feel mentally ready. I had gone through such a whirlwind. And then with the pandemic, and we had actually moved house all at the same time. So I just my world was just way too crazy. So luckily, and this goes back to my saying, I am very grateful for education and the public school board in a lot of ways. It's um, a, a job that you are allowed to take time off and get better. And you know that you'll still have a job when you're ready to go back. So I was lucky in that I didn't feel forced back to anything. So I took my time. I did the oral chemotherapy. And during that time, I needed to do something for myself. I had been going through treatment and had two little kids at home during multiple lockdowns. I just, I was kind of at my wits end. So my therapist, along with my parents and my husband, were all saying the same thing. You need to do something for yourself. 
So I decided to take up painting again. During chemotherapy, I did a bit of painting. I just had this need to create. Um, yeah, so tell me that about that a little bit. So you really, yeah, it was weird bad and you had this need to create. Tell me more about yeah. that. Yeah, it was so bizarre. So during chemotherapy, I was so sick. Like you do one, you, I always called it like my good week and my bad week. So my bad week was the week that I would have chemotherapy. I did it on Mondays when the boys went to daycare and school, my kids. And then hopefully by that weekend, I could be a mom again to them. So I timed my chemo along with my children's schedule essentially. But um, during my good weeks, when I wasn't ill, I just, I kept wanting to do something that felt like me because so much of my life did not feel like me. And it was, I didn't look like me. I didn't feel like me. I wasn't acting like me. So it just, I needed, perhaps it was a search for identity. I'm not entirely sure, but even as, when I was so sick after a chemotherapy treatment, I would lay in bed and I remember my husband coming in to our bedroom to check on me. And I said, I just have this burning need in my body to make something to create. And he kind of looked at me like, you are so sick. Like, what are you talking about? Um, but he knows me well enough to know that it was there and it was a need. And so he suggested like, why don't, why don't you paint again? So I did. And I also did a lot of sewing, which was uh, super therapeutic. Yeah. So just pausing you there. And this is just my own little theory of nobody has to take this seriously, but I think I, I'm always talking to my listeners about listening to your body. I think there's huge wisdom and it could be that for you, the creative act is a very healing thing. It and, is, you know, and the desire, it's not coincidental that the desire came up as you were healing from an aggressive illness. Yeah. And, and I, you know, it's important that you listened to it. Yeah. I felt, yeah, it felt like this weird urge or voice or something that I knew I couldn't ignore. It needed to come out of me. I literally felt like a vessel that needed to just do what my inner body thought it needed to do. And it was so healing and it felt incredible to get back to something that really feeds my soul. And I had ignored it for so long. And it's, it's interesting because Glennon Doyle in her book, Untamed, it, it's, she says something along the lines of, um, because she was quite sick and had to move to Florida to the ocean to recover. And she said something along the lines of for a woman, it almost takes her dying in order to put herself first or exactly. something like that. And I just love that quote because that's literally what happened to me. <laughs> and um, yeah, it, it has resonated that that line has like, oh, gives me the shivers because it couldn't be more true I just kept putting everyone first for so long and this illness of mine it forced me to kind of reflect on what do I want out of this life you know life can be long if we're so lucky or it can be pretty damn short and no 33 year old should have to face mortality it was very strange um, to be going through that alone, seemingly none of my friends, my friends were worried about like, you know, what house to buy or what car to drive or what daycare to choose. And I'm in this position of, holy shit, like, I'm, I'm, I might not live like, so if I do, what do I want to do? Well, how do I want this life to look? Um, and so I took a painting course uh, in order to you know, just revisit some stuff and have a, I always, I love learning. Obviously it's part of my DNA, I think. So I wanted a teacher to encourage me and I wanted something to keep me accountable. So my mom and dad paid for this, you know, intro to abstracts course at a local art school um, near my area. And it's a beautiful building gorgeous big tall ceilings in these studios with this gorgeous light coming in and I remember walking in my first day and I just had this feeling of like 
oh, this is it. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is, this is it. And I know it sounds so weird to say, but for me, and I'm not speaking for anyone else who has gone through cancer, but for me, I have to find meaning and I have to find purpose and I have to believe that something so life altering happens to wake you up. And in that moment, I went into that studio and I thought, oh my God, I think this is why I had breast cancer. I think I'm supposed to do art. Like, I think this is it. And it was just a moment and I've never looked back. I I just couldn't stop painting. I couldn't stop. It was like obsessive. And I finally felt better. So there was this passion, but there was also an energy that I hadn't had in so long and it just felt right. So I just started painting again and and I haven't looked back. It's been amazing. So tell me about your Instagram journey. Okay. So my, my Instagram journey just started as literally a portfolio, not even a portfolio in the, in the traditional sense, just a place for me to document my progress and my journey for no one else, but me. Like I, I kept it open because I didn't mind if, if people saw, but I had no concept that I could create a business or a, you know, a career path on Instagram. It never occurred to me. I just wanted to keep myself documenting. I wanted to keep myself accountable. Um, A few of my friends were following me and they were so lovely and encouraging. And then one day, one of them messaged me, a girl I used to go to high school with, asking me if she could buy one of the paintings I had posted. And I remember thinking like, you can just have it. Like, I can't believe that you would ever want to give me money for my art. I wouldn't even know what to ask dollar wise, like just have it. She said, no, 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 I can't just have it. You have to, I have to give you something for this. So I can't even remember. I think I maybe charged her like 50 bucks or something for this painting. Um, But it gave me this little spark, like, huh, I, I could maybe sell some of the paintings I'm making or even make a painting specifically for someone. So also known as a commission. So, but I wasn't even using those words yet because to me, the word commission felt so official and I didn't know that I could actually do that. I didn't think that I was good enough for it as far as my skills were concerned or maybe where I was in my art path as a as a career I didn't know if I was you know qualified enough or legitimate enough but it just kind of took off I just started posting more regularly and started yeah, just, just pausing you right there what if there's no such thing as qualified or legitimate like what if that it's all wrong I know I know and you're so right and it but you know what I think it was I think it was years of you know taking fine art classes in a university setting where there is an ego, there is this world in the art world that you can choose to be part of or not. For those who choose to be good on you, I don't have, I don't think I have thick skin enough for it, but it it can be quite highbrow. It can be quite snooty. It can be um, very competitive. And can I throw in another word? Yes, please limiting it can be quite (laughs) I agree entirely and I just I want this to feed me I don't want this to deplete me I don't want to feel like I have to justify why I'm making what I'm making or how I'm making it or I, I don't know I just I don't think that that's that's the route for me so I felt really comfortable doing it on my own and doing it out of my home and on Instagram. And then I started an Etsy shop and my own website. And it's just kind of organically grown the way my brain works. It's not, it has not been linear. It has been all over the map and I'm still learning. I'm still listening to podcasts and taking, you know, free classes on how, you know, Etsy SEO and learning as I go. But I love that. I love that component. But it also allows me the freedom to just 
I'm going to go in the studio today and that's what I'm going to do. So, yeah. Yeah. Try not to. It's, it's such a story of creativity, mm-hmm. uh, but also a story of freedom and also a story of exploration and self-expression and all of these things that aren't just relative to artists, but are relative uh, relevant to all of us on our life's journey, right? That's yeah. why I think it's so amazing. Somebody like you is also teaching kindergarten children and bringing that sense of freedom and inspiration at that level. And I like to see people like you teaching at all levels. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it it's been a wild ride for sure. But I definitely think I've learned a lot. And yeah, it. I think you can apply it, like you said, really to anyone and any, it doesn't have to be a journey like mine, but there's a lot of value in learning to, I don't know, explore and play. And yes, you have to pay the bills. Don't get me wrong. Like I, I, I totally get that. It's a privilege to be able to do this, but there's sacrifice. Don't get me wrong. I'm sacrificing lots of things to be able to have my days in the studio, but I just know that that's what's important to me. And it's what I need to feel like I'm living my life with intention and feeling like I'm living a fulfilled life. I need to have creativity in my life to do, to feel like I'm making the most out of this life. Cause I was given a second chance kind of. So I have to use it properly. I have to do something with it that means something to me, not anyone else. (laughs) What do you think is the most important thing that you've learned in your journey? Oh man, that's a really good question. I think just giving yourself space to space to create And I don't just mean in a studio with paint, although that does apply. I mean, to create memories or create, I don't know, a day that feels fulfilled to you, whether that's just taking a walk with your kids or walking the dog or making a delicious meal. I don't know. I just feel like I used to race through those moments. And don't get me wrong. I catch myself now that I'm, you know, almost three years out of my, my last chemo, that'll be in March. Um, there are days where I'm like, Oh God, no, you're, you're reverting back to how you were before your treat before your cancer. Like, don't do that. Um, so I think the most valuable is probably just every day is a gift. And I know that that sounds kind of corny or it's overused, but it is like it it really truly is so there are just moments in my day where i can feel overwhelmed for example the other day i was teaching in the kindergarten classroom and it was loud like my classroom can get rowdy and i felt my anxiety rising and i felt like oh god like it's really loud i feel overstimulated i don't know i just oh i was getting all irritated and then I stopped the class and I said, look out the window and the sun had come out and they were like, the sun's out, Miss Moore, the sun's out. And I said, everybody put everything away. We're going out. How lucky are we to have sunshine? And we all went out and I needed it. I did it for me. (laughs) They were quite happy playing. That's a a beautiful, that's a beautiful example of giving yourself space. And even if it had just been pausing the class for that moment to look out the window and breathe, even those little like micro bits of space can make a big difference. And that's what I mean about giving yourself space and, and to, and just the idea of paying attention to the sun, you know, I don't know if I would have done that before. I, I think I would have liked to think I was the type of person that would have done that, but I don't think I actually did. Mm. And so now I do, and I do it intentionally and I do it regularly because it's so soul feeding, you know, it just, it, it's important for adults and for kids and they love it. They love when I point stuff out like that. I'm like, look, the trees are changing color. Look at these reds. Look at these oranges. How beautiful. And 
some of the kids probably wouldn't look up from, you know, the truck that they're playing with or the bicycle that they're racing around on. So I hope that I'm teaching them to pause sometimes as well. Such an important lesson. One other thing, just we can touch on this briefly because it relates to um, creating space. And we talked about this earlier, which Mm. was about giving yourself or your students, whichever we're talking about, the space and time to be bored. Yes, I love being bored. I just read my son a book last night called I'm Almost Never Bored. And I can't wait to take it into my classroom next week because I joked with my son. I said, doesn't it sound like mommy wrote this book? He said, yeah, mommy, you always tell me to be bored. (laughs) And this book is all about this little girl who doesn't want to be bored. And she keeps asking her mommy and daddy, will you play with me? I'm bored. What do I do? And her parents keep responding. When you're bored, you're just about to have a great idea. And I tell my sons that constantly. You have to be bored to think creatively. When you are stimulated by external things, whether it's an iPad, a show, um, even a play date, like even if there's a kid that they're playing with and they're using their imagination and they want my kid to play whatever with the trains. That's wonderful. But when you're bored, that's when you come up with really good ideas. So I do try to teach my students that. I try to implement that with my children, but I especially feel that I need to make that time for myself because as an adult, I can say to my kids, go be bored in your rooms and come up with a fantastic idea. And they can, but I also have to make dinner then or, you know, get the laundry going, sign the agenda, pack the lunches for tomorrow, you know, all the things. So that's another privilege that I have in working part-time. I get to have days where I don't really have anything planned except for, you know, I'll write in my day planner, like studio day or creative day or whatever. And I do like to let myself get bored because then that privilege allows you to explore some really cool ideas that you wouldn't get when you're making dinner. I just, I'm thinking of too many other things when I'm doing those daily tasks. Yeah. So much there about being present and creating uh, space and allowing yourself to be bored that could be the topic for a whole book. I think (laughs) I totally agree. I'm sure somebody's written one already, but it, um, it certainly would be beneficial to, to keep visiting and and exploring. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I have this time in my class where I call it free exploration. Really, I should just call it be bored because I want the students to just have some carved out time to really explore what they want to do and see. So I think what everybody who's listening to this episode should do is listen to everything Alex does for kindergartners. (laughs) apply the principles as as you can to your own life um Alex how can people find you and find your art they can find me on Instagram I use that fairly regularly it's just at Alex Moore Gibson art and you can also find me at www.alexmoregibsonart.com and I'll put links to both of those in the show notes Alex, I want to thank you for your time today. It's been fabulous talking to you. I think there's so many insights and things of value for all of the savvy souls. That's what I call them who listen to this podcast. And I really want to thank you for being on with me today. Oh, it's been my pleasure. I, this is, I love talking to like-minded people about topics like creativity and space It's just, yeah, it's soul filling. Savvy Souls, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. I really enjoyed speaking to Alex. She was so genuine and so good at storytelling. She made me feel like I was there with her going through the experiences. And she's just so forthcoming about what happened and how she felt and what her thought processes were. So I thought there were a lot of takeaways in here that could be 
useful to you, whether you want to be an artist or do something totally different or whether you're happy where you are now. We talked about why it's important to instill a mindset of creative exploration, whether we're five years old or whether we're in our 60s or 80s. Uh, The importance of play in creativity, how listening to her body led her to the healing she found in the doing of her art. And it's just another example, Savvy Souls, of why I'm always recommending to you that you listen to the wisdom in your body. It will point you in the right direction. We also talked about how it's possible to find meaning in the most difficult circumstances. She gave you an example of how that happened for her, but you can think about how that might happen for you in difficult circumstances you might be facing. What meaning could you find in them? Her story was an example of how it's possible to create a business in an organic non-linear way, one that works for your brain and your interests the way Alex did in hers. We talked about why it can sometimes be best to try things on your own without a teacher, how she's flourishing so much more, creating her art business organically and on her own and her art organically and on her own and doing it the way she wants rather than what her experience was taking it at university. And then finally, the importance of giving yourself space to be bored and space to create meaningful moments. In other words, giving yourself space. So like I mentioned earlier, I will put links to how you can connect with Alex in the show notes. See your art connect with her on Instagram. Okay. I hope you enjoyed that and we'll see you next week. Bye now. So if you're energized by the possibilities you're hearing about on this podcast, but you're wondering how it's possible to actually make what you've been fantasizing about doing actually happen, I'd love you to join me for a free strategy session where we'll talk about coaching together. We'll explore how you can start making what you want possible by taking small, easy steps that add up to something amazing. Just click on the link in the show notes below this episode to book your free call. I'd love to meet you live. And all my listeners, remember, it's finally your time to do what you want.